0: The internet's most listened to talk radio network voice with joyce bender and disability matters
1: welcome to disability matters with your host joyce bender all comments views and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host guest and callers now the host of disability matters here's joyce bender
2: and welcome to the show and thank you once again To all of my listeners everywhere, you are really helping me make a difference, and I truly appreciate your support. And today, I I have to tell you, this is really a really special treat for me today, because as far as I'm concerned, we've had so many great people over the past three years on this radio show, um, and today we have a real hero and a true champion on the show Dr. Joseph Lagana and I'll tell you I know him personally I'm blessed to know him as a friend he is a great man in many ways and has done so much for this community right here in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania so it's an honor for me to have him as our guest Dr. Joe welcome to our show
3: Well, thank you, Joyce, and uh, I'm blushing. I'm glad that this is not TV because you're making me blush with that wonderful introduction, and uh, I certainly consider you as a dear friend, and I admire and applaud you for all the good work that you do, and uh, you make a big difference in the world, and that inspires me to continue on, even though I'm retired, uh, to continue to work with uh, people who uh, are less fortunate and less served than, than they might be.
2: Well, I'll tell you what. Let me tell you, I want to just tell all of our listeners, if someone would say to me one word about Dr. Joseph Lagana, I would say humble. You know, I was just at this fundraiser and that he put together to help the homeless children, and it was gigantic, and it was really a success, and everyone was standing up in front, you know, as the speakers were going on, except for Dr. Joe. You know, here's the person that put the whole thing together. He's way in the back. They have to, you know, practically corral him to get him up front. But that is part of what makes him so great, you really are an example of a leader who serves, and since I am blessed to know you, but unfortunately many of our listeners do not know you, how about if you begin by telling them about your background um, in education, as you mentioned, I know you're retired, but you are the Executive Director Emeritus of the Allegheny Intermediate Union Unit, and you have had a superb and long career in education, but how about if you tell our listeners a little bit about that?
3: Hi, I'd be delighted to. Uh, as you said, I uh, I had a whole career of 40 years in education, uh, most of it in western Pennsylvania, and uh, started at uh, Slipper Rock State Teachers College way back when, uh, became a teacher and taught uh, science and biology and chemistry uh, in one of the local school districts, and then went on through a number of uh, career changes as a counselor and uh, as a system superintendent and ultimately a superintendent of schools in, uh, Northgate, which are two small boroughs in Pittsburgh, and then finally head of the Allegheny Intermediate Unit. So, uh, my, my career spanned a number of job changes, but, uh, the, uh, I always found in, uh, each of those job changes the, uh, the drive and the attraction to try to work with those less fortunate, particularly those who are, uh, less served than they should be. And uh, of course, uh, in, in the last 17 years of my life, while I was being paid, I worked with uh, many, many uh, institutions and schools that dealt with children with special needs. So uh, uh, that that, uh, that that really gave me great satisfaction, Joyce.
2: And you know I know you also worked a lot with uh the government in the state of Pennsylvania uh to to make a lot of wonderful things happen and your career certainly clearly had an impact on so many great things that happen with our school system uh, but Unfortunately, Dr. Joe, many students with a background in special education. Really have the feeling that they're being left behind that you know that the bar is being lowered that they're not being you know treated equally to people children with uh, out disabilities. I wanted to ask you your opinion about that. What do you think we can do in this country to ensure that children with disabilities are not left out of our education system
3: yeah well that, that's really a a very important question and One that I struggled with uh, over my career because, as you know, the field of special education is uh, fairly new. Uh, I would say maybe four decades uh, in in terms of uh, really uh, a concerted effort to deal with uh, children with special needs. And and I've seen some significant progress. I think we have much better screening tools today. I think we have uh, have specialists who are much better prepared to deal with those unique uh, disabilities and to help families and children to adjust uh, to a rapidly changing society. However, I do think one of the significant things that I felt strongly about in my career was when special education schools were first set up, they were a wonderful invention, but they really did segregate that population. And uh, that in itself, I think, was, uh, was, if you look at it, a setback. Uh, for disabilities, in many cases, because what we were really saying is you, uh, you you can't function in the mainstream very well. What we need to do is put you in a special building. And I think toward the end of my career, one of the things that I saw as uh, as a major change was uh, an attempt to try to mainstream those students who. Uh, Had the growth potential to get out and mix with their classmates in a normal school and then to go out and be successful and contribute in so many ways in our society. And and I think that's going to continue on. I think that uh, we're finding ways to get more and more children with special needs out there into the community where they can work, uh, learn how to use the public transportation system, and, and really feel good about themselves and really make a contribution. So, I see that evolutionary uh, path uh, continuing on, but I think what what happens is uh, the uh, the requirements for for uh, local school districts to support that kind of program really has never kept up uh, the funding has never kept up with the requirements, and uh, it's very expensive to do the kinds of things that are necessary. To to teach children, for example, how to use public transportation so they don't get lost and get hurt, uh, it really requires one-on-one, uh, one-on-one attention. So part of it is the funding is never really kept up with uh, with what we really know are best practices. So I think one of the things is the funding issue. I think the second issue is we're still not sure, um, much of the population is not sure that uh, that putting all that money into it is worth it. And, 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 of course, I believe it's worth it, and I think there are more people day in and day out who are becoming convinced that it's worth it. But it takes a long time for the bureaucracy of the school system to, to make those kinds of adjustments in their budgets. So, uh, you know, I guess we just have to keep pushing on, and we have to give parents the hope that, uh, that we can support them and to help uh, their dreams come true. I think leaders like yourself who uh, have overcome uh, challenges go out there and say, uh, you know, you demonstrate that you can do these things and you can overcome these these barriers, these handicaps. And and the more people that do that and the more folks who don't have uh, apparent disabilities champion the cause, I think we're going to continue to make great progress.
2: Yes, I do too. And Dr. Joe, we do receive questions that are sent in to us by email. And one question that came in right here from Pennsylvania is, uh, Dr. Lagana, thank you for everything you are doing and everything you have done to help children with special needs or children with disabilities. My question for you is, as a mother of a child with a disability, what advice do you have for me when the school system tries to tell me my child cannot be mainstreamed, but I believe that my child can?
3: Well, there are agencies that are designed to give parents proper advice and support. The local task force in, in, uh, in the state of Pennsylvania was appointed by Dick Thorn- Thornburg back 30-some years ago to actually address issues like that. When a local school district uh, uh, appears to have not responded the way a parent uh, would want uh, or desire, there is, there is an agency called the local task force that is, uh, appoint- is appointed by the governor of the state and uh, that task force meets on a fairly regular basis in Harrisburg to bring up those kinds of patterns of behavior where uh, school districts are not adhering to to the law or responding to uh, what is in, in the best interest of students. Now, that doesn't mean that every parent gets their way, but there is a third party that can take up their issue because most parents, by and large, uh, are not sophisticated enough to understand all their rights and and, and uh, all of the opportunities that they have. So the local task force would be one one agency to certainly get in touch with. In the Pittsburgh area, there's a very powerful group called Achieva, A-C-H-I-E-V-A. And Marsha Blanco happens to be a very good friend of mine. And uh, there were times when I was working in the schools, uh, we were not on the same side of the argument or on the issue. But I can tell you she is a very worthy advocate for, for parents, and uh, she runs an organization that's very sensitive in supporting parents. So my answer to the parents out there is if you you shouldn't try to do it alone. Some of these issues are very complicated, complex. The school districts uh, uh, generally have specialists who uh, can represent their interests best. You need to turn to people in the community who can help you. Another agency, uh, I don't know whether, I don't think it's a statewide agency, but in the western Pennsylvania, we have a group called Kids Voice. Kids Voice. Scott Hollander does a terrific job of accumulating a cadre of uh, attorneys who make themselves available to uh, uh, to parents and to uh, uh, people who have concerns about not having their rights uh, properly defended. So there are agencies in the community that that can help. They're getting stronger, uh, and, and I applaud them. And,
2: and you know what? I agree with you one hundred percent that you don't need to do it alone. And and you know what? You can't do it alone. The, right. You know, if you have all of this help, it's so helpful getting through the bureaucracy. Don't you think?
3: Oh, absolutely. The bureaucracy of schools, and that's not to say it's negative because I was part of that for forty years. It's just that it's complex and trying to get to the right people. Uh, the school people are overwhelmed as well. The demands of uh, on local school personnel today, the teachers all the way through uh, the agency, uh, have tremendous demands, particularly this No Child Left Behind uh, uh, legislation that really focuses on test results uh, and funding is associated with that. Uh, so so they 're overwhelmed, and it 's very easy for them to make parents feel unwanted or unappreciated or uh, not invited but uh, I, I have found most schools to be open one, they want to help uh, help the children and parents, but sometimes they don 't put their best uh, behavior forward
2: yeah and and you know that here 's the key there 's a key it 's called being educated when you go talk to someone. And you are informed, and they know you're informed. It's amazing how different everything is.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and a parent should not go with their hand, hat in their hand. They should go uh, knowing what their rights are, and, of course, that means conferring or consulting with some agency that's in the community. And they should not be shy or bashful for, uh, to ask for what their, what is their right, uh, what are the rights for them and their children. And uh uh, I, I think that 's the way to approach it, but it is it 's a long hard road road its uh, it 's uh, it's, uh, very frustrating at times as well because sometimes the wheels turn very slowly. so the second point is be patient, and I know it 's hard to be patient when you see your child possibly not developing as much as they should
2: yes that 's right. be patient, perseverance is the key, and with that we 're going to take a break for a minute you 're listening to my guest. Dr. Joseph Lagana, founder and CEO of the Homeless Children Educational Fund and a true champion in this country. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Nowhere
3: I'm going and I know what to do. i tied it up
4: my i The Authority and Internet Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.
1: and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom, and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com.
5: I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are 2.5 million Americans with the condition, If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkgaard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard, every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time. Invoke thought, feeling, and inspiration into your life right here on voiceamerica.com.
0: This week on Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo, Lake Bell from Surface joins us to tell us about the show, and TD-0013, our resident stormtrooper, joins us in studio to help us talk about the sci-fi that's happened this week. That's this week on Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo.
4: Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender.
2: And welcome back to the show, and we're talking to my guest. Dr. Joseph Lagana, founder and CEO of the Homeless Children's Educational Fund. And so you know, I mean, his, he does go by Joe and Joseph, but to any one of his close friends in our little group here, he's Dr. Joe. So to me... He's Dr. Joe.
3: And I like uh, that choice. That, it, I, I like being called up. Uh, you know, the older I get, the more I like it.
2: Well, you are, do- you'll always be Dr. Joe to the Bender Group. Uh, and, and I want to, I want to talk about something that I know is so very important to you, and that is the homeless children's. Education Fund. I know that you are not only the CEO, but you're the founder of this organization, and I think it would be interesting for all of our listeners to understand and learn how that all came to be.
3: Yeah, well, it's, uh, it, uh, when I look back at it, it's, uh, it's an amazing uh, uh, journey that we've taken over seven years because I was faced with the need to reti- uh, retire because my mother uh who was in her 80s was starting to show some signs of uh real aging and uh, failing and so I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do a, a a a 50 or 60 hour week as I normally was was doing at the intermediate unit so I decided to retire and I also uh started to feel the uh, separation anxiety from a profession that I had served for 40 years So I started to think about where could I continue to work in the field of education and make a contribution? How could I continue to stay in it? Because I learned a lot in 40 years that I I felt still was useful to put back into the community and to help parents and particularly uh, to work with children. Uh, nothing gives me more more satisfaction to hear the, the sweet voices of children, particularly if they're poor kids who all of a sudden just, you see their eyes light up and, and they, you know that they have some hope and you've given them some hope. But anyways, uh, I discovered that one of the areas of our student population that did not have any voice was uh, the children who were residing in homeless shelters with their mothers. And uh so I took a look at that from a county level and uh discovered that at the time there were seventeen shelters that had children and their mothers. Uh the uh, uh the children would be uh, there with their moms, their moms would be rehabilitated or be in the process of re rehabilitated or developing their career and uh but yet there were no formal program there was no formal program to educate the children while they were in the shelter. In fact, uh, on my first tour through the shelters, it was very difficult to find uh, a dictionary or anything of that nature. And uh, the children who were there basically, in most cases, were watching television or uh, not fully uh, engaged in regular school. So uh, we formed the board of directors and the 501c3 organization and began to work with the shelters directly to say, what can we do? focus on education of those children while they're staying in the shelter. And uh, just uh, as a matter of uh, information, the continuum of care uh, in our county is that there's three levels of shelters. One is emergency shelters for 30 days. Another one is a more uh, continued one called uh, transitional, which a mom and the children could be there for 6 to 10 months, 11 months, and then there's the bridge housing, which uh, the children could be there with their mother for a period of two years, where the mom became uh, able to earn a living and, and pay for her own uh, apartment. So uh, uh, our goal was to develop uh, learning experiences within those shelters that would help support, complement, and supplement what would happen in school. What we found, however, that uh, there, most school districts at the time, did not understand their responsibility for educating these children while they were in the shelter. So we started to work with our senators and rep- and congressmen to uh, to amend the McKinney Act, uh, which was federal legislation, and we were able to get the uh, uh, we were able to get an amendment that uh, outlined very clearly the responsibilities of the school district to place those children, support those children while they are living in a shelter. And simultaneously, we started to build within those shelters learning centers that the children could study uh, after school on the weekend and during the summer. So to date, we've built uh, eight learning centers inside those shelters. And uh, we're now working on the ninth one in Clareton, uh, an old steel town that at one time had glorious days, but because the steel mills are gone, the schools are suffering, and certainly the children who are left behind are not getting the kind of services they should, and there is a high level of homelessness there. So uh, we're now focusing on Sister's Place in Clarendon to build a learning center there. And what we do in a learning center is try to equip it uh, to give uh, the students access to all the tools, uh, hardware, software, uh, print material, non-print material, uh, and coaching, mentoring, tutoring. Uh, and to support the shelter in all those ways and, and to make sure that there is a connection with the school
2: so then you work with various shelters then is that correct
3: yes uh, there are, there are now eighteen of them, eighteen shelters in allegheny county, and at any given time the county will do a uh, will do a point in time study and what they find at any given time there's probably around six hundred children who are in those eighteen shelters. And as I said, they're there for periods of time that are variable depending on which type of shelter they're in.
2: And so during that time, your whole mission was how do we educate these children while they're in the shelter?
3: Right, correct.
2: And I know that, you know, anyone listening to the show probably doesn't realize this, but for our listeners' interest, Dr. Joe, what is the average age nationally of a homeless person?
3: Yeah, the the average age we're told is uh, roughly about ten years old. Uh, so the most rapidly growing population are children uh, that are homeless, and oftentimes you don't see them. In fact, seldom do you ever see them because uh, agencies throughout the country are pretty good. the police are pretty good. The law enforcement folks are pretty good of uh, of connecting uh, people who are uh, children who are on the street with their mother two appropriate shelters. In Allegheny County, we've got a very good shelter system and uh, a good referral system, and the the police are tremendously helpful. They know where these places are. They protect the women's rights, uh, protect their dignity. They find a place for them, and then we have to go to work from that point on to try to get them connected with the school.
2: And I think this is so important, what you are doing, Dr. Joe. And I hope as our listeners, I know many of our listeners are probably shocked right now when you told them the average age nationally is 10 years old because like many people, and I was one of these people several years ago, if you would have said to me before I became acquainted with you and Linda Dickerson, if you had said to me, Okay, think about home, a homeless person. I would just think of the individual that, unfortunately and tragically, that you see out on the street, you know, a man or a woman out on the street, usually male, uh, or people you see under, you know, a facility such as a bridge. That, that's what people think of, but they don't realize that in this country there are so many homeless people and that with those homeless families come children.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that that is a big discovery for most people. I've been doing this work now for seven years, and I, I find people at first not even believing that. In, fa- in fact, the county, uh, the Allegheny County uh, Department of Human Services, didn't quite have a grip on the number and the expansiveness of this issue. Uh, they knew there were children out there, but they didn't know how many. So now they're committed to do more research to find out what are the vast uh, areas of need uh, how can we as a county coordinate services there? Uh, so this is sort of a new endeavor, a new partnership for us with the county, trying to work with them. Uh, the state uh, has a, a liaison, a homeless uh, liaison initiative, which is funded by the federal government, but it's, it's very sparsely funded. Our funding comes primarily from uh, donations and corporate sponsors. We're blessed to have the corporate sponsorships that we have. The corporate community has responded beautifully. Donors are very generous, and uh, we're, we're pretty excited about what's happening. We've only begun to scratch the surface here. Now, Joyce, one other figure that might be useful. Uh, I said about 600 children at any given time might be there with their mothers. Uh, occasionally there's a few fathers, too, particularly in Salvation Army, where they do, do take men. But over a course of a year, it's not it's not unrealistic to expect that over three thousand children in this county will go through a shelter experience. Over three thousand. Oh my
2: goodness, that's terrible.
3: Yeah, and if you if you do that across the state of Pennsylvania, you're talking about more than twenty five thousand, and that's just one state. Twenty five thousand children who might experience a a a a period of homelessness, and. If you think about it in the terms of just imagine a more, you can't think of a much more dysfunctional place for a child to be than in a homeless shelter because most of the people there who are clients need help. They are, their moms are either coming out of a raping or out of some domestic violence or out of a, out of a fire. So you, you have a clusters of people in the same building. Who have experienced tragedy in their life, and they're all together in one in one domicile. So, what we try to do through the Homeless Children's Education Fund is try to bring balance to that experience, to give them hope, to give them hope that this is a, a bump on the road, maybe a maybe a major pothole in the road, but there is hope, uh, and, and that they can help themselves through education. They can help themselves if they see this as a temporary situation. And the beauty of it is that most of them do respond. Most of them like to, they, they respond to any act of kindness, generosity, uh, smile. Uh, and that's where the satisfaction comes in.
2: Oh, and it does. And what you're doing is so important and so wonderful because, again, you know what? We, I'm really glad you're doing this and talking about this. And I think you, you know, it's important to have you talk everywhere because I think part of the problem is, Lack of education.
3: Yes, absolutely. And, and, but I think the story is pretty simple once people listen. Yeah. Uh, I go out to churches and to various community groups, and within a half hour it all becomes very clear to them because it is an invisible population. We're not talking about the street people. We're talking about the, the moms who've experienced a, an unfortunate part of their life, and uh, their children go with them, uh, and you don't necessarily see these.
2: That's right. Well, listen, we're going to go to break for a minute, and then we'll be right back so you can hear more from Dr. Joseph Lagana, founder and CEO of the Homeless Children's Education Fund, and you're listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back.
4: The powerhouse of Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
1: Talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you are a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at benderconsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.benderconsult.com in the U.S. and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom, and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com.
5: To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000.
0: Ever wonder what's in your future, why you are the way you are, or what your dreams really mean? Then tune in and call in to The Jackie Marie Show with professional psychic Jackie Marie. With over a reported 90% accuracy in her psychic predictions, Jackie Marie answers your questions on psychic phenomena dream interpretation, numerology, astrology, hypnosis, recognizing your own psychic gifts, and so much more. Along with her co-host, Alan Richard, Jackie also provides her psychic insight on celebrities, politicians, new items, and a mystery of the week. That's the Jackie Marie Show, broadcast every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 Eastern, on voiceamerica.com.
1: In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, VoiceAmerica.com.
4: The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com.
0: If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender.
2: And welcome back to the show. And if you just tuned in, we have as our guest today Dr. Joseph Lagana, founder and CEO of the Homeless Children's Education Fund. And, Dr. Joe, before we went to break, we've been talking about children. I want to ask you this. um, What? is the percentage or how many of these children in these shelters are also children with disabilities? I know that you're working on the educational mentoring project. Maybe you can tie all that together for us.
3: Yeah, well, data is hard to come by. Uh, first of all, the shelter population, uh, the shelter staff are overwhelmed with the normal uh, crises associated with people who are on the intake and participate in their program. So, Keeping data on this population or accumulating data is very difficult, so I can't answer your question directly about how many of these children have disabilities. But I can tell you from my years of work in the area of special education that I would say that the population, uh, this population probably has anywhere around 50 to 60 percent of the population of these children have some developmental delay problems or they have some uh, some unattended health issue that uh, inhibits their their learning and, and uh and I know that that's the case and, and part of the problem is uh, that they move around uh they move around from shelter to shelter, and they don't really get a chance to get into any intense uh, treatment for that disability uh, so uh one of the things i I'm very concerned about and I, I wrote a proposal for was how do we get the shelter staff to be, to be uh, a little more, uh, uh, let's say, uh, skilled in, in the screening process to try to sort out those children who may have a gift or may have an affinity towards a gift but yet maybe are developmentally uh, uh, undeveloped? And, and what do we do while they're in that shelter? Uh, it's very possible that we have children who have tremendous art skills or music skills or drama skills or creative skills that are being inhibited because maybe they're not they're not very good in academic subjects such as math and and reading or in uh, English and so what happens is they hate school because they don't have a chance to have an outlet for their creative potential so what we what we 're trying to do through the mentoring program is is to get each one of the shelter staff to see themselves as a positive role model for these children and that as a positive role model pay a high premium on education, the importance of education and structure. And if we can get every you, every adult that's in a shelter to behave in a way that says education is important, uh, boundaries are important, that standards are important, that structure is important, uh, these children want and need Structure, And I'm convinced that with that, any, the disabilities that they bring with them can start to be uh, uh, impacted in a positive way. So we're going to be training some of the shelter staff, those who wish to uh, participate. We're going to be training them on Saturday mornings so that they can become more skilled as a positive role model and arm them with uh, tips and, and uh, skills that will help them to impact these children.
2: Oh, that is fantastic! And you know what? When you said there isn't clear data, here's one example. I know that Tony Quello told me that many shelters, that many of the people in shelters, for example, have epilepsy. And this, of course, is not a visible disability until the person has a uh, seizure. But I'm sure that that's the case even with a lot of these children. They do not have sometimes a visible disability, as you mentioned with learning disabilities. But you know, still could have other disabilities such as depression or uh, bipolar disorder or epilepsy.
3: Well, yeah, exactly. One of the things that you know I know from my years in working with children uh, in, in regular schools is that children come to school at different stages of uh, human growth and development, and there are times when, when their eyes don't focus. One eye maybe focuses higher than the other, and what happens is they don't, they don't see the way, we nor, way, way a normal person sees, and, and, and so they don't see the written word or they don't see the, the uh, numbers the same way we see them. And with corrective lenses, that, that, that goes away in a couple of years. And uh, But, if they don 't have the corrective lens lenses, you can see where they could get, get turned off from school, become very angry, be, become very frustrated, act out in ways that are not that, that are not popular or not uh, acceptable and before you know it, you have a kid who's totally turned off from society and so what we 're looking at are what ways can we detect those uh, those uh, somewhat uh, invisible uh, de- uh, de- disadvantages that these kids, these children might bring uh, to the shelter. So I, I think when we, we think about this in, in perspective, Joyce, uh, these moms come to a shelter that's already overburdened with demand, and uh, they're not thinking about the subtleties of eyeglasses for their children or hearing aids, or they're not thinking about uh, the fact that the kid needs to see a dentist uh, that, that the child is not getting proper nutrition. They're thinking about how do they survive. And, and so when you put that all in perspective, health needs are oftentimes ignored. And the other thing when you put it in perspective, these shelters basically uh, are not on a steady funding stream. They might start out a year with a doctor on staff coming uh, once or twice a month or a dentist. But then if the funding dries up, they may not see them for, for for 18 months. So, meanwhile, the whole a cadre of children have gone through that shelter unattended.
2: Wow. That's terrible. Yeah, and I know you're right because you could be a child, for example, with a hearing disability, uh, in addition to, as you mentioned, the problem with vision. And if all of this is not attended to, you could be the person that you know becomes angry about school and angry about learning, and all of those things need to be taken care of. I I wanted to ask you one other question, Doctor Joe. What is there an age limit, or can all ages go to shelters?
3: Well, uh, you know, first of all, let's start out with who are the shelters uh, and how are they? How are they? uh, What's their origin? Most of, them, uh, most of them are founded by some visionary who had some money uh, and left it behind and said, look, I want you to take care of kids who, uh, who are uh, with their mothers and they are homeless. And basically the mission is very generic. And so what happens is funding streams are different for every one of the 18 shelters we deal with. There's no common funding stream. Some of them are faith-based, such as the Salvation Army. Uh, Light of life. Uh, those are faith-based, and so they receive some funding from from that source. Some of them are uh, are uh, just by interested community people come together and do it. Sisters' Place in Clareton is funded uh, is funded uh, started by sisters, nuns uh, who had a deep commitment to the uh, underprivileged in that neighborhood and and went out and raised money for it. So I need to put that in perspective, that there is no common funding base, there's no common mission. What we're trying to do is say, what we want to establish as common ground in all of them is that education is important. That if, if you believe that every child can learn, and if you believe that every child can uh, not only learn, but can ultimately become a contributing member of society, That is carbon-based across all 18, and we can then support them on that to work toward that belief. That's 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 our goal. But to come back to the questions you raised uh, about uh, the age, uh, they can lift. uh, These shelters, you know, can say uh, we're not going to take any boys, for example, uh, after the age of 13. And, And most of them do not take boys after the age of 13. So the boys then are separated from the population mainly because of some uh, because of uh, mischief that they might cause with the uh, the mothers or or the older females uh, the the older girls uh, teenage girls in the shelter. So uh, on intake the families are split sometimes and uh, sometimes the father and the boys go somewhere uh, maybe to a relative to live. And the girls stay in the shelter with mom. So now you've got a family split. You've got uh, siblings being split. Uh, and it's very hard to get uh, visitation uh, rights uh, uh, and, and a schedule. So th- for me, one of the tragedies is that our young boys are not being tended to the way they should. Uh, the tragedy that I see is that they oftentimes are out on the street, not supervised from the ages of 13 on, uh, they get jobs, uh, maybe uh, abused by an employer who who doesn't pay them what they should. Uh, they they move from community to community. Sometimes they're abused sexually. Sometimes they sell themselves. Sometimes they get into drugs. So I, I see that the boys, we need to do that. Over the next decade, that has to become one of our focal points. What do we do with the boys? What do we do with the young boys? And that isn't to say that we, we have a great system for girls that age. But uh, we at least recognize that their needs, uh, we recognize their needs a little better.
2: You know, that's really terrible because I'm trying to envision a lot of those boys back out on the streets. You know what I mean? And that is, that is a, surely is a formula for disaster for many people, but We'll be right back. We're going to break and we'll come back and finish our show with Dr. Joseph Lagana, the founder and CEO of the Homeless Children's Education Fund and truly a great man in this country. You're listening to America's Voice, Joyce Bender on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back.
1: their Their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you are a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at benderconsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.benderconsult.com in the U.S. and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom, and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com.
5: To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000.
0: Hello, this is Rory Garay, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the greyhound. Learn about the history of the greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race dogs. If you own a greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com.
4: Bringing you around the world right from your desktop, voiceamerica.com.
0: If you have a question or comment call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender.
2: And welcome back. We have been talking today to Dr. Joseph Lagana, the founder and CEO of the Homeless Children's Education Fund. Although, let me tell you, he's involved in so much in the community. That's why he won that award from the uh, the Jefferson Award for the work that he's done. As a matter of fact, at the break I told him I, I never knew that next year he was going to be the chair of Phipps Conservatory. And I know my my family knows I am a garden fanatic, and I love Phipps, so you know I'll be out there.
3: Yeah, we're talking about Phipps. One of the things we want to do is get these children on field trips this year.
2: Mm, that would be good, yeah.
3: Particularly in the summer, we want to take them to our assets in the community, like the centers of John Hines History Center, yes. the uh, aviary, the uh, zoo, and places like that, so that their summer is not just simply staying inside the shelter. Uh, we think that it's important that we uh, introduce them to our Community assets, and to have them see that they have access to these places, and that uh, that they are wonderful educational institutions. So I'm glad you mentioned this.
2: Yes, well, you know what? Oh, that's because I just love flowers. <laughs> I love put my hands in Miracle Grow, and I'm in heaven. <laughs> um, what I wanted to ask you, Doctor Joe, about the homeless children education fund. Before I forget, what is your website? And how can someone donate funds?
3: Yeah, our website is www.homelessfund.org. Www.homelessfund, that homeless fund is all one word, homelessfund.org.
2: Okay. And they can go straight there to find out how to make a donation if they so yeah, desire?
3: Absolutely. We have a wonderful website. We have a retired uh a uh, friend of ours who uh, spends uh, a lot of time each week updating it. So it's up to date as of uh, last week. And we'll uh, so find a lot more than just the way to do- donate. they will find out more about what we didn't talk about today. So uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Thank you, Joyce.
2: Oh, I'm I'm a big believer in everything you're doing. And I know that at that Homeless Children's Education Fund, I remember, I think it was you telling me the story once, don't you do things such as if you're going to school and you're a person who is homeless, of course you don't want to go to school and be the person that stands out and it's obvious that you're homeless. Don't you provide them with uh, bags and things like that?
3: Yeah, well, uh, we are delighted uh, to tell you that uh, our partner, Citizens Bank, uh The President uh, Ralph papa uh, is a partner with us, and uh last year we gave we, we collected over three thousand bags and had them filled with school supplies and uh, We call that packed to school in the fall of the year and I met with uh, the folks from Citizens Bank yesterday they're geared up to do that once again this August, and we're very glad to have them as a partner. So that's one of the things that we do. We feel that, they, that they, we want these children to start the school year off uh, with the same kinds of uh, equipment, materials, and supplies that a normal child uh, or their peers would have. And so we try to do everything we can to get them ready for school.
2: Yeah, you know, that is great. Ralph Papa, another great person, the that's CEO right. of Citizens, another great person that really gives back uh, to the community, uh, Dr. Joe, do you have an example or a success story that you could tell our listeners about in reference to h c e f
3: Well, you know our success stories aren't um, the kind that uh, you'd make a movie out of, but they uh, there there are many of them, but I guess the one that comes to mind is uh, the great joy that all of us got uh, a year or so ago when one of our students who had dropped out of school. Ended up uh, through our efforts supporting him to get his GED in the learning center. He studied there, was tutored, and passed the test. And now is going to community college. And you know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but under normal circumstances, that that boy, uh, that, that young man, would have bounced around from place to place. Uh, there are other uh, examples. Uh, I found out. Uh, I found out that there was a young homeless. Uh, a uh, woman who graduated uh, very high in her class at Taylor Ice, one of our high schools, and uh, she uh, was living in a shelter. I didn't know that, but she was living in a shelter, and somebody finally called it to my attention that she was there. She was stuck after graduation, not with nothing to do, basically, not a, not having a job, and uh, we were able to get her uh, some funding so she could pass this uh, College Board test she's now a student at community college. Wow,
2: so oh, that's so great.
3: It's those kinds of things. We had a young lady last year who uh, was in one of our high schools and didn't have enough money uh, to go to the prom, and so we connected her with some resources where she ended up uh, getting a prom dress and all of the, uh, had her hair done and so on and so forth. And she she was the only person in her class that didn't have a graduating uh, a, a class ring. So we found somebody who actually uh, bought her her classroom. Oh, you know,
2: how awesome! But,
3: so, you know those are uh, what you call blockbuster movie scripts, but no, oh,
2: I think they are. Yeah. To me, to me, they are, Doctor Joe. But they
3: are small. They are small victories for children, and hopefully they'll go on in their life and, and, and continue to uh, inspire others. Uh, I, I just can't tell you how uh, much these kids appreciate the smallest gift. A, a smile, a hug, a touch, uh, just a little bit of attention. We we took 12 uh, of them to uh, see Santa this year from the Salvation Army. They all, even the ones that were 8, 9, and 10 years old, wanted to sit on Santa's lap. I mean, it, it's just so wonderful for the community to give the way the Pittsburgh community gives uh, to the underserved population.
2: It is, isn't it wonderful? Yeah. Well, you are one of those. You have so many achievements, and you have so many awards. You're always getting an award. Um, I can't imagine how you're going to answer this question. But I ask all of my guests, "What are you the proudest of today?"
3: Well, you know, uh, I- I'm glad you asked that. I, I, I uh, you sort of mentioned it the other, uh, in, earlier in the program. Uh, I- I've-, I've won a-, a few awards in my career. I- I've had. The- typical plaques, and and so on. But the one that touched me the most, uh, I have to think of, was the Jefferson Award that I won a couple months ago. Uh, And the reason for that is I was standing among real heroes in the community. Uh, When I stopped to put my life in perspective with the other seven or eight people who were being honored, and and to see what they do, uh, what what citizens do in this great community day in and day out to help others. And to do it with no fanfare, no recognition, they just do it because it's the right thing to do and they they know they get back many, many more times than they give. And and I've always felt that, but I just felt so touched by that award that the community recognized a little bit of the effort that I put into this uh, Homeless Children's
2: fund. Well, let me say first, on behalf of all Americans with disabilities, that I thank you for everything you do, because you do give back and you don't have to. Here you are retired. You'd never know it if you'd meet him. You'd never believe he's retired. Uh, but he has more energy than you can imagine. But you give back every day, and we appreciate everything you do.
3: Well, thanks, Joyce, for giving me the opportunity. Uh, it's it's always good to chat with you. and. And I really appreciate having the opportunity to share our discussion today with uh, your audience. And, uh, uh, you know, I just want everybody to believe that every kid can be a winner, every kid uh, can learn, uh, and every kid does have dreams, and it's our our responsibility to try to help them realize those dreams.
2: That's your message for all of our listeners? Yes. That is a great message for all of our listeners. That truly is, because isn't that the truth? Every kid does have a dream, right? Right,
3: absolutely.
2: And you're helping making it happen. You've been listening today to a great person, Dr. Joseph Lagana, the founder and CEO of the Homeless Children's Education Fund and just a person that has dedicated his whole life to education and to our young people, and we think so highly of him. I'm just blessed to have him in my community, and to know him as a friend. And I want to end the show, we end every show with a quote from a famous civil rights leader or a person who really has made a difference in this country. And today, since we had Dr. Lagana on, it just has to be Judy Human, the former Assistant Secretary of Education, and as all of you know, a pioneer in civil rights with IDEA. And this is her quote. She said, Let me reiterate, it is not the role of teachers to diagnose medical conditions nor to prescribe medications. It is the role of teachers to involve parents in the educational process for their children when they work together to significantly improve the results for their children, said Assistant Secretary of Education, Judith Human. And with that, we've been talking today to Dr. Joseph Lagana. Dr. Joe, thank you for being with us. Thank you. And you've been listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, VoiceAmerica.com. See you next week.